0: Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. If you are just joining us, we are learning how uh, to pray that prayer. A lot of people have grown up. uh, They know it by heart. They've memorized it. They know how to recite it. And we are spending some time learning how to pray uh, this model prayer that Jesus has given us. And we spent the last uh, three weeks sort of uh, kind of looking at prayer from a little bit, uh, you know, kind of a more broad perspective and using the Lord's Prayer uh, and sort of its background and how it got to us, how it came to us. Uh, And then the next three weeks as we prepare for Advent, kind of prepare for Christmas, we're gonna be um, really digging down on the actual prayer. These are the words that we are learning how to pray uh, together. Now, before I jump in, I've got a couple things I need to clean up from last week. Um, I was uh, corrected uh, on two things uh, past week that I need to uh, make right today, so if you'll indulge me, um, I'll do that now. Last week, I mentioned um, North Carolina State. I mentioned the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I also mentioned Duke University. And um, there was a couple of snarky comments I made about a couple of them as well, may have been. And after the tree lighting service, uh, my friend Maggie came up to me and she said, you know, there are more than just three universities in North Carolina. And then she showed me her shirt that said Wake Forest. And she said, we were actually playing for the ACC championship." And I said, "You are correct. Point uh, well taken." And so, I just want to give my respect and congratulations. I know they lost this night, but on a great season for Wake Forest University. <laughs> it's like the golf clap. Any, any Wake Forest fans in here? I got just we got a couple. All right, good. Welcome, all two of you. Thank you. Um, so, the other thing that I did was I made a snarky comment um, about. Uh, Chapel Hill losing to NC State and about <laughs> and about Duke winning uh, against Gonzaga. And what my Sass, who's actually on our staff, he's a big Carolina fan, he said, you realize that you misrepresented that because you compared Duke, uh, Duke's basketball win to Carolina's football loss, and Duke actually lost. And they did. They lost to Miami last week. So there is a point to this other than just coming clean. Um, The point is that you will see through the lens of what it is that you care about, all right? So this is how all of us view the world. So as we sort of walk through this, I wanna begin by sort of asking you, what is it that you see? Every day when you wake up, what do you see? How do you see the world? How do you see the people around you? Are you sort of naturally or uh, most easily prone toward optimism and hopefulness? Or are you most easily and most naturally prone to cynicism? How is it that you see the world? How do you view a long line in the drive-through? How do you view traffic? How do you view your job? How do you view your marriage? How do you view your desire to be married? How do you view your, how do you, what do you see? What is it you see? And you've got to get a picture of this. You need to know what this, to articulate this, to actually say what it is that you see. Because this is framing everything else about you. And there's something else happening inside of us. Because this is actually connected to something that's much deeper. This is the idea of what it is that you want. What is it that you want? It's interesting. When I was growing up, I wanted uh, a Jeep Wrangler. Bad. Bad. And soft top, you know, the whole deal. That's what I wanted. And it's interesting when you, when you sort of, you look at the magazines and you sort of focus on it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, I want this, I want this Jeep so bad. When you drive around town, what do you see? Like there are Jeeps everywhere, right? It's like, what, so what happens is the more you want something, the more likely you are to see it. And the more you see something, what happens? It sort of increases your desire. And you just sort of get stuck in this loop. And this is really, this is really the loop that sort of frames this idea of encounter or the way in which we what we what what forms us and shapes us internally and therefore what eventually plays itself out in the way we live our lives. It all frames or hinges on what it is it you encounter, what it is it you see. We talk about this a lot around here if you're sort of recognizing that language. But what the Lord's Prayer does is it puts something up in front of us. That's really different because what we naturally see and what we naturally want, most easily, most likely, is according to the uh, way in which you behold the world or see the world. It's according to what you happen to want for your will or for your life. And it's according to what makes your uh, sort of kingdom work here in the space that you occupy. And that's our natural tendency. And so the model prayer, sort of the very first thing it does, it sort of puts us or sets us on a collision course with something. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when I'm sitting here making sort of this observation in my journal, I just wrote down that this is your name and it's your kingdom and it's your will And all of a sudden I find that there's this place or this collision point. And so it's not just enough, can I see these things, but how is it that I learn how or come to want them, to want for his will to be done, to want it, to long for it. It doesn't happen because you figure out some principles from the Bible and then apply them to your lives, although that's important. It happens because you encounter This God who Jesus is introducing us to our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's a couple things you got. Everybody got one of these when you came in? Yes? Perfect. Merry Christmas to you guys. Um, This is our gift to you, and I want to just take a moment and say thanks to Tony Ripa and J.J. Clark, Josh Driggs, and Donna Piner for helping uh, put this together and making it um, available. And what you're going to do is there's a couple of parts in here. Uh, You're going to be designed to do this in two exercises a week that will lead you up to Christmas. This is how we're practicing Advent. And the first two that are mentioned after the the instructions that you're given are our worship and His will. Our worship and His will. And that's what I want for us to look at uh, today. Again, you can take any time and use those first two exercises this week. And that will start to set you up for our personal retreat and for way you're going to celebrate Christmas together. But what Jesus introduces this prayer, he says, our Father, and this immediately, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, or holy is your name. This immediately sort of sets up two cultural tension points that we have in our, uh, sort of in our context. And the first is that the tension, the first tension is that, that this view of a good father, that, that in our culture, this is no longer an assumed thing. And it sort of creates a tension here. Um, A lot of times in our culture, the the image of a father is sort of a twisted, and has been twisted into sort of of misogynistic, self-indulgent, demanding power figure. Um, And unfortunately, that image has been played out far too often in many people's lives. In fact, Taylor's 10-minute version is a lot of commentary on that. For those of you know, you know. And so we struggle with this, to see God as a good father. So there's a tension there, and I recognize that. What I want for us to do is rather than sort of overlaying our experience on God, just ask, can we see him for how he really is? Can we see him for how he is designed for us to live? Those of us who've been given sort of fatherly assignments here to represent this tender, trusted protection, this authority that provides the safety for us to learn to love and to be loved, for us to know for us to behold and understand beauty and our own sense of worthiness and our own sense of security and wholeness. It's the relationships that's designed for us to understand those things. And so God reveals himself to that. And I recognize this attention, but Jesus invites us to say, our father in heaven, holy is your name. The second tension is that this idea of a, or this view of a holy God. Most of us, even those of us who've been walking with the Lord a long time, sort of still diminish this. We like to think of God as like our buddy upstairs, or the guy. You know, there's a lot of sort of uh, compadre-type uh, language um, around this, and we sort of miss the, the holiness. Um, the culture basically just sort of sees this idea of a, of a uh, holy God sort of as a you know a cosmic ruler who gets his way by the threat of judgment, or you know punishing people in hell, or it's sort of an ancient myth for people who haven't quite caught up with the way the world actually works. And so some of you, if this is your view of God, you, you, you pursue him wondering if you've done enough to gain his favor. And as others of you, you just sort of approach him as though you're like kind of, hey man, can we get this done together? And we don't have this sort of sense of what this really looks like. So I wanna explore both of these because this is how Jesus invites us. The way in which God reveals himself to us is really important for us to understand, for us to articulate, for us to consider. The, the scriptures are full of passages that, that share this with us. And then Psalm 119, um, it says that the heavens declare the glories of the Lord and day after day it pours forth his speech. That everything that we see and sense around us, God is revealing himself to us. And what we need is to have eyes to see. We need to, to begin to ask, Lord, can, we, can you help us to see, to understand, to know, to pursue you? It's about, you know, really the title of this morning's message is a prayer to see, to be able to see God and ask him to show himself to us make no mistake about it, to encounter God. I know a lot of you have. I would dare say everybody who is here, you've had some moment, some point in your life where you sensed God's presence. You sensed him with you. You sensed him doing something on your behalf. Enough to sort of go, okay, I think that was God. Others of you, this happens all the time. But the question is, how do we get to this so that it actually shapes us and in here begins to awaken something in us that we want, that we long for? And I think this begins with with a very unexpected place, especially the way most of us live our lives with this sort of type A, super aggressive, give me a plan, help me understand the plan, execute the plan kind of mindset. And God comes and he does something completely different. It's how is God revealing himself to you? I wanna show you this in the book of a couple different places, starting in Exodus 33. And we're also gonna look at another encounter with Jesus in Mark chapter eight. So Exodus 33 uh, is the story of Moses, uh, and he's delivering, or he's already uh, led the people out of uh, slavery in Egypt. And many of you know the story, or you've seen the movie. And so Moses leads the people out of, of Egypt into the promised land, and they uh, have some issues with God's timing and what God promises them, and they end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. This is all recorded in the Old Testament. And so on one particular occasion, they're they're kind of doing pretty well, And Moses goes up on the mountain to meet God. This is how things were working. Moses is kind of the the representative of God to the people, and he represents the people to God. And so Moses goes up on the mountain, and this is where Moses famously gets the Ten Commands. Uh, and plus a host of other things that he gets up there. And while he's up there, it says he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And all the people are down there waiting in the desert, waiting on M- Moses to come back with all this instruction from God. And they get very impatient, if you can imagine that. And so they're there and they begin to get impatient. And what they did, and this is, this isn't a foreign and they, that it was very customary to build idols or to build statues to to offer to God and to worship God and God had specifically said don't have any, don't worship any other, don't worship any idols, don't have any false images and so anyway, they're there, Moses is gone and they go, we gotta have something to do so they build a golden calf and they start worshiping this golden calf which is foreign to us, it would not have been to them. So they're worshiping this golden calf and God and Moses are in this conversation and God says to Moses, hey, you better get down and check on them, they've lost their minds. So they go, Moses goes back down and he sees this golden calf, he flips out, he burns it down, he tells them, what have you done? And they have a, the wheels have completely come off. It's a, it's a train wreck if you read it. And then Moses says, I'm gonna go back up and talk to God and see if he'll forgive us, see if we can do something about this. So he goes back up to God and they have this exchange and God says to him, you can go to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. And that's kind of what it feels like. You, you I promised you you're going to land, you can go in land, but I'm not going with you. So Moses begins to um, plead with God on behalf of his people, to to, God, can you please be merciful to us? And so God says to him and says, hey, okay, I will go with you, I will go. And this is what Moses says, or this is the exchange between Moses and God uh, recorded in Exodus 33, starting in verse 15. It says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here, For how will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing that you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know your name. And then Moses makes this request in verse 18. Then Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your holiness. Show me who you are. Let me see you. And the Lord said, said to him, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, or Yahweh, or I am. I will proclaim the, my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said this, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. We don't have a category for this because we, we are so... Uh, just used to understanding and everything, and not approaching anything until we fully understand to make sure it's safe and we can control it and manage it and deal with whatever it is. And so we don't really have a normal category. This is this is God saying you cannot see my goodness, or it will it will oh it will kill you, it destroy you. So here's what God says to him, verse 21. The Lord said, "There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by." I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then he says, and when I pass by, I'll remove my hand and you can catch just a glimpse of me. This is the incredible story. One of the things that I'm learning, because I believe what Jesus said when he says in John 5, he says, you search the scriptures looking, thinking that you find life in them. But I'm telling you, all of these scriptures point to me. So I'm trying to say, God, how does this point to you? There's a place and a way in which God is that is so far different than the way we perceive him. He's not our chum. He's not our buddy. He is God. He is holy. He is other. He is unlike anything that we know to the point that his presence incinerates us. There's some, some, I don't understand how it works, but that's, that's the picture that we're getting. So much so that God said, I will show you a glimpse of me, but I've got to cover you because if you see me in all of my goodness, you won't survive. And he gives them just a glimpse. And he's, he's painting us a picture. He's giving us something to see so that we can one day say, our Father, who are in heaven holy, and, and see him and know him fully as he is, and not die, but rather just the opposite, to find ourselves to be alive. So this is what's happening. But the problem is what sin did is sin separated us. Sin separated us from the life that we have been created to live and separation, uh, sort of separated us from, from the capacity to experience His Love and his care for us and also in that, the fullness of joy that comes in that relationship. And here's what you need to understand. When we talk about, we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, the the trespass, the fundamental trespass that happened when we were separated from God creates the capacity for every other trespass that we experience. This is hands down. We only see now a glimpse. We see uh, dimly, as in a mirror, the scriptures say. We have a very limited view of what is to come. So this is why we have to pray. God, help us to see, show me your glory. Show me your glory. When I thought about this, was, the question that came to my mind is what does separation do for our perspective? What does distance do to your perspective? It changes it. We all know this. Now I love to serve. I am not a good surfer in terms of like skill and all that. I'm not, but I absolutely love it. In fact, one of my friends told me, he said, you know who the best surfers in the water are? I said, who? He said, the ones who have the most fun. And by that scale, I'm a top five. I hoop and holler. It doesn't take much at all to get me excited. I love to be out there. But I've seen and I watch a lot of surf videos, and most of you have probably seen pictures of these guys now that ride these 100-foot waves off the coast of Portugal or Hawaii, like ginormous waves. And everybody can appreciate that that's enormous and death-defying and all that. But most of us would walk out, and you'd sit down there, and you'd see waves that are in the in you know, a head, just kind of normal stuff out there. And it doesn't look that big. You know, oh, that's not that big a deal until you paddle out in it. And the closer you get, you realize, oh my gosh, and you, especially when you get one on your head and you're underneath water and tumbling over, you realize this thing needs to be revered. There's something, the closer you get, the more, the more proximity you have to its power, the more reverence you have for it. I think this is the exact same thing we need to learn in terms of how we perceive. We see him, we just oh, but the closer we get, when you have an encounter with him, you realize that you are dealing with something that you really have no understanding or capacity for. And so something has to happen to us. And so what Moses says, and this is where I think we need to learn how to pray, is God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. Can you show me what it is that you want to do? One of the things that Jesus talks about over and over again is he talks about the fact that we have or suffer from spiritual blindness. We do not see as we ought to see. And we do not want as we ought to. And I think all of us can acknowledge that, right? We all have perspective that's not helpful. We all have things that we know. Sometimes we get in a conversation and we want to be right more than anything else and it affects everything else that's happening in those loops. And so we have to learn how to say, God, can, you, can I encounter you in such a way that you awaken something in me that is different? And this takes time. In fact, Jesus was talking about this. It's really interesting in Mark chapter eight. Um, this is one of, the, one of the most interesting stories of Jesus healing someone. There are many times when Jesus healed uh, people of blindness, several stories uh, recorded for us. And this one is uh, found in, in, in chapter, uh, Mark chapter 8. Now, a couple of things you need to know. The Gospels all tell this story in some variation. Um, but just for some context, there was a miracle where Jesus fed 5,000 people. You've probably heard this before. There was also another instance when he fed 4,000 people, two separate miracles that he did this. So the disciples had seen Jesus take a little bit of food, turn into a lot of food. He had seen Jesus, you know, the lack of bread being no problem for God or for Jesus. So here's um, what happened. So they, uh, Jesus uh, feeds the 5,000 or 4,000. The disciples come up to him and go, when are you going to show us a cool sign? And like, so they have this kind of exchange. Then the disciples get away. And this is what Jesus says. I want you to watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the, the political leaders. I want you to watch out. He uses this bread language. And they're like, what is he talking about? We don't have any bread. Maybe he's about to call us out for not having any bread. This is just, these are classic examples And then Jesus goes on and says, are you still so dull that you don't understand this? Like, are you still so blind that you don't understand this? And just so happens, they bring a blind man up to Jesus. So this is the scene. The disciples just had this conversation. They bring a blind man. This is where we pick the story up in uh, Mark chapter eight, verse 22. They came to Bethsaida and some people brought a blind man and they begged Jesus to touch him. And he took a blind man by the hand and he led him outside the village. And when he had spit on the man's eyes, kind of gross, put his hands on him, Jesus says, do you see anything? Now, you would read this, right? Nothing, anything about it. And then the guy says, he looks up and he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. None of y'all see the humor in this, do you? Let's let's back up. Jesus comes up, they bring a guy to heal Jesus. Jesus puts his hands on him, spits on his eyes, puts his hands on him, and he says, did it work? Do you see anything? What what an odd thing. Jesus never, this is is the only time he asked this question. Did it work? Now, can you imagine the pressure on this guy? Because he's like, I don't think so. (laughs) Are you going to tell God? Hey, I don't think it worked. He says, what do you see? And the guy says, "I I see people, but they look like trees. Something ain't quite right. Once more, verse 25. Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and then his eyes were opened and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Here's what's incredible about this. This is recorded for us for a purpose. right? It, I don't think Jesus was going, oh man, I should have done the spit thing first or I should have. Because Jesus healed thing, healed people in different ways. Sometimes he just said a word. Sometimes he touched them. Sometimes he used mud. So here's this place, and he says, do you see anything? And the guy's like, "Uh, I do, but I don't think it's what you think I'm supposed to see. So he touches them again. And here's what we know. It is this guy's willingness to say, there's a plane coming for everybody who's watching. We wonder why it's like, oh, it's so distracting. (laughs) Squirrel. So there's a, this guy, he, he says, he has the guts to say, I don't think I see the way you're hoping I will see. And that acknowledgement is actually what prompts Jesus to touch him again. Here's like a lot of us do. And this is the question I would pose to you. What do you see? When you say, God, show me your glory. What do you see Really? It's interesting. He said, I see trees. He's like, I'm trying to describe this with with words. He takes the time to articulate it. He didn't just say, I don't see see anything. He said, I see like something, but they look like trees kind of clunking around or I can't tell the difference between Sally and Johnny or whatever it was. He had words to describe it. So what do you see? You know where I'm going with this, right? This is why I say, keep a journal so you can write down what you see because some of you, you keep pretending like you see and you don't. Because you think you're supposed to. Or you feel badly that you don't know what you ought to know, so you keep pretending and you don't ask. When he says, what do you see? So, "Oh, well, I see God in all of his glory. And it's like, no, you don't. You see trees. and You're not really sure what you see. Now, this has been some of the most freeing things for me personally in my own walk is to be able to acknowledge that, God, I don't think I see you the way you really are always. And sometimes this is what I think, and sometimes this is what I see, and sometimes this is what I feel. You know what I found when I do that? Jesus touches me again. And the encounters, to learn how to encounter him in a meaningful, in a personal, in a a heart-shaping way is an important skill for us to learn. And this is why I think Jesus invited us into this to say our Father is in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. To say, show me your glory, and then to record or to write or to consider what it is that we see. And what we're what I think we're driving at here is this is why Moses' prayer is so important. And what I think Jesus started this off with when he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, the first thing he is doing is getting our sights set on something different. Because if we're really honest, the core of that prayer for me, I could be the only one, is God, your will. Let's get about your will. Let's do something. Let's do something. And he's going, not so fast. You need some perspective first. You know what you learn from Moses? I think it's one of the most powerful lessons that I've learned in my life. When Moses comes to God and God threatens, hey, I'm not going with you. Look at what Moses says in verse 33. He says, Lord, if your present doesn't go with us, I don't want to go. I don't want any of your promises apart from you. He was establishing along, and the way I think about this in my own life is that what you and I have to become convinced of, and this, I think, is the challenge of the Lord's Prayer, and this is just the challenge of being a Christian in a fast-paced, modern culture. You have to be convinced that his presence is more important than his direction. Almost all of us Pray and ask God for direction and for understanding, and very few of us spend the kind of time asking God to show us His glory. I'll say it one more time: You have to be convinced that His presence is more important than His direction. Sometimes you will sit there, God, I got to make a decision. Where am I going to go to college? What's going to happen with this? What about this? And you're begging for His direction. We have to still ourselves down and gain his perspective, have an encounter with him. It feels so non-applicable to tell you to sit in his presence. You know, I've kind of joked about going to the grocery store with Julie because you go to the grocery store with two people to get things done, and she goes to the grocery store with two people to be together, and it makes no sense to me. So you have to learn. You have to learn. You have to learn how to enjoy someone's presence you have to learn how to spend time with someone without always having some having to have something to do but this is exactly what when he says to our father in heaven hallowed be thy name all the commands in the beginning right are all about worship you shall worship the lord your god right have no idols make sure that you have no i mean it's all about the condition about how we set ourselves up to want this deeply and it's his work you can't you can't want this You can't want, right? Some of you, you know this, right? You tried so hard to root for Georgia, or root against Alabama, I mean, to root for Alabama, and you just couldn't. You cannot make yourself want to acknowledge the greatness that Roll Tide is. And I get it. Just kidding. I'm I'm not. That's actually true. (laughs) Y'all, this is the beauty of Christmas. Moses sees God, asks for God to show him his glory, and God has to hide him in the cleft of a rock. And what happened in the incarnation was that in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God and he was with God in the beginning. Everything that was made was made through him. He was the life and the light to all mankind and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness could not overpower it. It goes on and he says, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And out of his fullness, we have received grace upon grace for the law came through Moses, but grace and truth were revealed and they came through Jesus Christ. And here's what it says. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and exists in the closest relationship with him. And he makes him known to us. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. Jesus said it himself, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I don't think that we fully realize what a big deal this is. That God comes to us in the form of Jesus and he reveals everything that he has. Paul would record this, for in the fullness, it was God's pleasure to cause all the fullness of himself to dwell in Jesus. Hebrews would describe it as he is the exact radiance of God himself. Make no mistake about it, If you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. You learn how to encounter Jesus. You learn how to be in Jesus' presence. His love and his life pours out from what he did on the cross and his subsequent resurrection. His love pours out for us. He created for us and made a way for us to reflect his image and to express his glory in the way we participate in what he has ruled or what he has called us to do. His rule is the way. The rule of his love is the way in which we experience his love and the fullness of our own joy. And while his essence isn't contained in everything that we see, it was his pleasure to contain it in Emmanuel, God with us. This is what happened on the cross. So a couple things as we prepare to close our time. As I was thinking about this first section, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. It's our worship and his will. It's these two things. And you don't do God's will by figuring out what it is and then executing it, which is how most of us approach. God, tell me what to do, and then I'll do it. As I've prayed this prayer over and over again, what I realized is that your kingdom and your will are not found apart from your name. You're not gonna understand his kingdom You're not gonna understand his will until you encounter him. Our father in heaven, holy, holy, unlike anything we've experienced, that's who you are. That's who you are. And what I've learned, and this is kind of how I approach things, is that his will actually flows out of your worship and not your effort. And if you can learn that, if you can trust that, it takes all the pressure off of trying to do big things for God or do anything for God on that, for that matter. Because when you have encountered him, as you encounter him, right, sometimes one touch ain't enough. I mean, what I found is Jesus has touched me like a lot. Because I see and then I unsee and I see and I unsee and I see and I unsee, right? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's always, Lord, awaken me, help me see. But I want for us to give ourselves permission, particularly in this season, to be still and to know that He is God. To be still and to know that He is God without trying to figure out what He wants you to do. Just to be still and to know that He is God. And it's gonna feel, oh God, can't we just do something? You just have to learn how to enjoy His presence because that's where His way in the world is gonna come from. I'm convinced of this. I think we are so often desperate to pray for direction and understanding and tell me what to do. And I just want to invite you to be desperate for him to show you his glory. I mean, you go on vacation to do this, right? You go to see the Grand Canyon or the ocean. you, You know, you know this. Just to be desperate to see his glory. You see this in the Psalms, Psalm 27. One thing I ask, one thing I seek to see your beauty, to see your beauty. Psalm 84, 10 better is one day in your courts than a thousand days anywhere else. The beautiful thing about the gospel is Jesus, God didn't place us in the cleft of the rock, but he made a way for us to behold him, to see him, the fullness of his glory, of his grace and his truth and to be restored into the relationship for which you have been made, that God would be your father and you would be his child. Behold what manner of love the father has given unto us, that we should be called his own. Jesus made a way for us to pray the prayer that he taught us to pray. Think about that. When he said our father, when he said, hey, I want you to pray our Father, he knew that he was going to the cross to make sure that you could say that and you could say it with authority. That's an incredible thing to think of. Let, meet him, encounter him, let him show you his glory. So in these next few moments, we're gonna just kind of declare this together. I mean, what Jesus has done changes absolutely everything. So I want us to spend some time kind of before him, asking him to show us his glory. Father, our Father, in heaven, hallowed is your name. Father, your son Jesus paid a price for us to say that and to be restored into that relationship, into that way of life, to live as those who belong to you. So Father, I pray that in this moment that you would help us to see that you would show us your glory, that you might, um, like you did with the blind man, touch us again. We only see trees or we see some of us, we, we just we can't figure out what we see. Would you meet us and give us pictures and words and your presence? Show us your glory. So, Father, I lift this to you in the name of your son Jesus, who is our King. Won't you stand with me as we sing together?